folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G-E-E-S, emil.gorgis at tokyorealty.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, we're back with our JREP, Japan Real Estate Experts panel, and this time we've got Matt in attendance as well, which is becoming harder and harder these days as he's getting busier and busier. So we've pounced on the opportunity to talk to him about Akia, or vacant slash abandoned homes in the Japanese countryside, which is his specialty. Uh, he's got some stories about monkeys that he shared with us, and we also get more serious and answer some questions from listeners mainly regarding flipping properties as a business strategy, long and short-term rentals out in the countryside. Um, are these all possible? Are they profitable? Um, renovation projects and whether it's possible to have them financed, short-term stay regulations and compliance, marketing these countryside properties as businesses and building them up as tourist destinations, and then some more general property market related tidbits such as loan approvals and loan refusals, which can be based on non-standard renovations done to structures, um, raising, reducing and maintaining rents and the various complexities and legal aspects of these practices and much, much more. So really nice, long conversation with the usual suspects. Hope you'll enjoy it and I'll see you again on the other side. Awesome, and we're back. Yay. Hello, everyone. <laughs> In full form today, too. I feel like it's been a while since maybe like two weeks or something. You missed last week. Yeah. We, we were on form last week. Well, yeah. For, like, I, I checked out. I loved last <laughs> week, actually. It was so casual. <laughs> it was. I think most weeks are. Um, but I think the week before as well, we canceled it. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. So it's been three weeks. Wow. It was a holiday. We're just not aware of them usually until they actually happen. But that's yes, the joys of being a uh, being self-employed. You don't sort of know when when to go to work and when not to go to work. Yeah. Am I working? Yeah. Yeah. So um before before we get into it um and do the intros and all that, we need to hear about the monkeys, Matt. Yes, we have questions about the monkeys. What about them? <laughs> but what the whole story? Run it all by us. Where are you? What happened? Why are there monkeys in the house? 
Oh, okay. So, yeah, this is interesting. Um, it's strange. So, Yugawara is like, so there's Odawara, and then after that, there's what is it? Hayakawa, Nebukawa, Marazuru, Yugawara, and Atami. And I don't know why, but only Yugawara basically has monkeys. They're, they're, surrounded, they're very, very, very focused on the Yugawara area. They're not really in Atami. They're not really in, they're kind of in Manazuru a little bit. I, I hear rumor of them in Odawara, but for the most part, they're just like totally focused on Yugawara, which I don't understand. Um, but yes, yeah, so there's a lot of monkeys. In fact, there was a pack yesterday that we were drinking beer and, and watching uh, for our evening entertainment. I guess they're drinking beer with. <laughs> almost <laughs> almost um but yeah there's there's a lot of stories about the monkeys but i think the one that maybe you're referencing is something that i mentioned on twitter yes okay so there's the place that i live which was an akia but is is no longer an akia obviously um but the one next door is one of the like serious cases of like okay that's that's a lost cause. Don't even touch. I mean, there's like a forest growing on the third floor balcony and all this stuff. Um, so last year, the monkeys haven't really been around this year, or maybe I'm just getting impatient, but I, I kind of noticed a suspicious lack, a conspicuous lack of monkey business. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, but I noticed last year that the, the place next to me, the, the really hardcore, I, I would call it a haikyo, I wouldn't even call it akia, it's like, it's like a just ruined building. Um, I noticed last year that they had busted open the roof and were climbing in and out. And so I'm, I'm assuming that like, oh, okay, they set up shop there um, a bit. But then, like, I think what I was talking about on Twitter was like, well, apparently, like 40% of Yugawara is a vacant buildings. And so if they did, if they if they broke in and, and started living in the Akia next to me, who's to say that they haven't also done this elsewhere, which makes me wonder, is there like a hidden underground network of, of like monkeys? It's like a whole Walking Dead scenario. There. Yeah. <laughs> They've made movies about this. We should be concerned. Do they redecorate? That's what I want to know. Do they redecorate? Do they like? You do know, they, they redecorate? Maybe I'm not sure if you call it decoration, but they fling but, poop on the walls and stuff, right? They like. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, apparently, one of the troops of monkeys yesterday got really like rather uh, like overly confident, and so one of my friends has uh, you know like the <clears throat> the the little shrine or whatever in your house. And that's got the little things of, of sugar and salt. And so apparently the other day, like Mr. Monkey just decided, I, I want that sugar and just went right through the window over to the temp, the, the shrine thing in their house as they're sitting there and just grabbed the sugar and left. <laughs> so there's a lot of, there's a lot of the monkey, the monkey, this year's monkey report uh, is, is, I believe it's, it's, it's begun. <laughs> have started have commenced and the other question i have is like if they take your sandals are they like are they walking around wearing them <laughs> no unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately that i would welcome that as a development no they just throw them everywhere and then they you know jump up and down on your roof at like 3 a.m like this morning they were really active uh, and it's it's very they're a nuisance. You're not, they're, but they're protected by the national government. There's some kind of uh, you know symbol or whatnot, and so you can't 
you can't kill them. You can throw firecrackers at them. The Yugawara Municipal. Yeah, I, I actually keep meaning to do an interview with the guy who runs the municipally sanctioned. I think it's even like a job. Like there might even be money involved. Um, of there's this troop of I don't know, like five. Like pretty sure all male retirees. They've got the official, you know, Yugawara monkey patrol. Monkey uniform. Oh wow. Yeah. They have a mask on. And their whole thing is they they run around. They, you know, they get like a monkey call. <laughs> right. And like the monkeys are here, and they get into their car and they drive over there, and they're loaded with a bunch of firecrackers that they just throw at the monkeys. And I've seen this. I'm not making this up. I've seen them at work. Uh, they're they're literally every day out there protecting the good people of Yugawara from you know monkey maniacal. It's not a joke. I saved one of my when we were living in more suburban area of the city. Um, one of my neighbors was not attacked, but like she was just this old little obachan living on her own, and she was like hunkered down inside the house, and this monkey was banging <laughs> on the bars trying to get in. Yeah, we scared him off, but he didn't look too scared. He just like oh, climbed to the top of the hill and just sat there and looked at us. It's not they're like not. you yell at them and they go away. No, no, no. They're totally used to all. Of it. Like you, you just watch. In fact, the this thing. So I remember watching uh, some of the the order, the, some of the gentlemen with <laughs> firecrackers. The order of the monkey. <laughs> yeah, and, and the monkeys are just like hanging out on top of the roof being like, really guys? Like, I don't think so. Like, you're not scared enough. <laughs> just break more things. You need, you need bigger firecrackers. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to experience some of the wonderful adventures of Japan's countryside, this is the perfect segue to introductions. Matt, what do you actually do? Yeah, we, uh, I'm one half of Akia Inako, which is a real estate consultancy uh, that specializes in the location, vetting, and acquisition of all of these wonderful abandoned and otherwise vacant houses across mostly rural Japan. They exist in the cities, but they're usually way worse in the city and besides like why would you want to be in the city when you can have all of this monkey fun make it aside from monkeys occasionally uh, yeah i'm like i like i like the story of the monkeys stealing <laughs> someone else's stuff yeah <laughs> i just don't want any mon monkeys in my life I have to deal with. they're a pain i'm not a fan i was a fan for like a month or two and then i just realized that they're just stealing and breaking stuff <laughs> i can't do anything about it yeah, so we're going to go into focus on you um, in a bit, Matt, because I got a really big three-part question for you today. Oh, but um, first, let's introduce the rest of you guys. Tracy? Multi-part question. So yeah, I'm Tracy. I am the short-term rental Minpaku expert on this panel. So I've been doing short-term rentals in Tokyo for the last decade, and um, I do my own. And also, I help other people set up their rentals and uh, maximize their profits. That's me. And Emil. Hey, my name's Emil. I'm a real estate agent here in Tokyo. I help foreigners um, buy, oh, and you know, lo lo mainly local residents, but usually uh, foreigner, uh, foreign or mixed families, buy the family home in, in Tokyo. Um, and we also have, uh, we also act as a bit of a mortgage broker because we, we're a licensed real estate agency. We have uh, banks um, and loan offices that we liaise with directly. So we also can answer any question and organize your your typical Japanese home loan financing, you know, 100% financing, you know, 0 0.5, 0 0.6% interest rates. So, um, yeah, that's what we do. And Ziv, over to you, mate. Yeah, and I'm Ziv and uh, also been at it for about a decade. My wife and I run a real estate advisory and uh, proxy or a buyer's advocacy company, and we help 
uh, foreigners, whether they're in Japan or out of Japan, uh, most of them are actually out of Japan in most cases, who either are not physically here um, to handle uh, the purchase or management or sale process, or are here but are just for one reason or another not inclined or not able to do it on their own. So we provide them full representation on their behalf. Uh, investment properties, holiday homes, land for development, commercial properties, you name it. And we are the uh, Japan Real Estate Experts Panel, or JREP for short. And I'm going to dive right into this really, really big question. Just let me bring it up so that I'm not um, misrepresenting the original poster. Um, so Matt, this is, I mean, the, the first part of the question is definitely to you, but I think on the, uh, on the other two parts, we can all jump in. Okay. So... Um, this guy, is, he's living here in Fukuoka, and what he's asking is, um, why do we never hear of people buying up the old Akia Bank properties and flipping them to foreigners or renting them out to all of the immigrant workers who are coming over? It seems like an obvious market to him, but he's assuming that there might be some regulations preventing these investments? Anything of that sort? Um, yeah, it's not that complicated of an answer. I mean, we've touched on a, a big part of it uh, previously, which is that you within five years of purchase you're looking at just ridiculous capital gains taxes and so the whole idea especially of, if you brought it up from zero to actually being worth something right yeah right so the whole idea of flipping in the sense that i think is generally understood um is at best a non-starter right unless you're very masochistic and uh, just want to hemorrhage cash for some reason um there's there's no real good reason to do it within that time frame um, one thing that... But that's individually too, right? Like if you actually purchase it as a company, there's no capital gains tax. Right. And there's... I actually need to check in on that. But generally speaking, we're working with individuals who are looking at uh, getting these things up to speed in that sense. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a blank spot. But generally speaking, it's just a very uh, difficult way to go about doing it. But um, what we've... I wouldn't even call it a campaign. It's, it's more just like an idea that's still in the works is that, you know, if you just look at it in a different manner with a different time frame, though, and add a few things, and in fact, this is where Tracy would end up coming in, um, you know, you, you could technically like flip it. It just looks different, right? And what that would look like, what we envision anyway, is, well, you know, get the place, invest in it, bring it up to working speed, get a Minpaku license, rent it out for five or six years or something like that, get past that time frame, And from there, then you can reasonably start uh, imagining that you, you can indeed sell the property at a, at a profit, of course. Or even just living it yourself for like yeah, five years. exactly. Have it, have it pay itself off and things like this. So the uh, it's doable. You just kind of have to re reconfigure what it is, I think. Um, and then there's the whole idea of not hearing of people actually running stuff out. And to that, so far as I can tell, anecdotally speaking, it's, it's similar to the Akia problem in, in general in that, well, it's just not something that normal people do. So most people just don't do this sort of thing. Like the opportunity is there, um, but the kind of the, the precedent, I guess, for it is conspicuously, relatively conspicuously absent. There are, of course, people doing this, and Tracy, I'm sure you can chime in on this as well. Um, but it's it's not like a standard thing to do, and especially through dealing with real estate in Japan, I find that 
usually people don't like doing non-standard things. And so that's just kind of why uh, you see yes. a lack. Uh, I'll, I'll chime in with that. Yeah, that, that people don't like doing standard things. If there's no clear path of least resistance, then you do have to, you know, uh, um, you know, you have a lot of hoops to jump through, and it, and sometimes that sort of takes away, you know, the immediate, um, you know, profit and or fun when you've got to fight bureaucracy. And minpaku licenses aren't that easy to come by as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of due diligence you've got to do before you can get one. Um, and, and I think the other reason is that um, there's also a lot of vacancies, you know, a lot of like normal vacancies. It's, um, you know, it's not hard to, um, you know, it's not hard to find places to rent. If you're just looking for a normal chintai, it's, uh, you know, normal rental for resident residency. It's not hard to find one. There's no shortage of houses. Um, uh, but, Especially in the um, countryside, right? It, it, sorry? <laughs> Especially in the countryside. Especially in the countryside, it's it's you know it's quite easy to find a place. But um, uh, you know, if somebody, you know, that that's an opportunity. I see. Um, it's not to say it can't be done. It's just that hasn't really be been done um, publicly much. So you know, mm -hmm. maybe if someone goes and does it and then does a Netflix series on it, then it'll be exactly. it'll be the next thing to do, and uh, it'll be the next craze, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so. I, I dream of the day that that happens. Yeah, so it, it, it would be good. I, I mean, I would do it myself. I just don't have the, you know, I just don't have the, the time and the funds. Um, but, you know, if someone wants to go and do it, I think the market is wide open. So um, there, there are, we're seeing increasing, in, in fact, this is actually where the Japanese market kind of excels um, with our international market. It's much more about, there's kind of a wellness element to it as well. Um, but also frequently about just changing permanent re or changing uh, their residence or getting a second house, right? The Japanese market um, seems to be very interested in basically what amounts to kind of like Nimpaku with a little bit of teleworking in there, um, but mm -hmm. operating in that universe. Um, so we see it happening. Like it's happening in my backyard down in Ubawada. I know people who are doing this and I see more people buying it up. But um, as with a lot of things in this kind of general territory, it's all rather fragmented and fractured, right? And so there's, I don't think I'd call it, it's, it's not a swell. I'd like to say that, but you know, it's not yet, it's building, but it's, you know, it's not yet a critical mass. Um, but one thing that I also do, uh worry is maybe not the right word but i i think about anyway is well even if we get a lot of people like even more people doing this if there's no sort of unified narrative or unified narratives about it even if it gets big it'll still remain a kind of underground as it were well i mean each but you know but you, you know there's no there's no set formula in any in any city office right so right, you know right. each and that's the same with minpaku. Like the way, um, the way that licensing is handled um, is on a city by city, by region mm -hmm. by region basis. Yeah. And that's the same with, I guess, with Yakir. It's like, yep. you know, there's no set formula. You've really got to, you know, you've really got to. Each one is a new learning curve. There's nothing that you can sort of do and then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And that's when, you know, when you, 
have a business model like that, that's when it's sort of more interesting to a developer. Well, um, until someone starts, right? I mean, once like, until like someone starts and yeah. document and like and blogs about it and documents it, you know, someone who's who's not needing to make a quick turnaround, who's able to do it, um, that's, and then yeah. lead the way. Yeah. Matt, um, in your um, Akia Hunter video series, um, are you just? Um, I've watched a few, but I've seen you looking at them and, and, you know, inspecting them for purchase and so forth. You haven't actually done one where you're actually renovating a place like a before after Not kind yet. of thing. Not, Not yet, yet, right? No. That's Is that in the uh, works? That's something that we're looking into. Honestly, we're, we're a two-person team. We got a lot of stuff that we need to do. Editing videos, unfortunately is not at the top of it. So I, I have all sorts of content that I'm intending to get out. But So you have done these projects, you just haven't made a video of it yet? Uh, there's one that kind of walks you through it, but no, we need, like, so far as actual, like, okay, this is the project and we're following it and all of that, we haven't done that yet. We do intend to get that out there. And I think, I mean, really, if you look at what's, is it NH, it's one of the major channels, like a lot of the most popular TV shows in Japan right now, what's the Potsunto Ikenya? Is that the one? Uh, there's there's a lot of interest in home renovation, especially rural home renovation right now. So it, it to, to me, I mean, it's not even a hunch. Like I can say pretty, like it's, it's odd that there seems to be probably something close to what you might call critical mass with regards to just interest in rural stuff. But there's, there's it's that last mile thing. There's still something that's kind of getting in the way um, of really kind of turning the engine on and, and getting things rolling. Uh, I do think that the content, and that is something too that we very much aim to do with our business. Of course, you know, yeah, we help sell properties, but really kind of the, the crux of it though is to make cases and show precedents for not just daydreaming about living, you know, a more rural life, but actually saying, hey, look, here's a crazy look, guy. It can be done, it yeah. It can be done. Well, you know what, Why? so my, I, I come from a perspective where there's just not enough money in it for the time and effort required, which is why the people aren't picking it up, why we're not hearing about it, why it's not becoming a thing. Especially when you consider the time and effort required, there's the opportunity of that time and effort to be invested in, well, you have places like Tokyo, bigger cities. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. And so just off the bat, right? Like, And I, I want to ask, I guess, about actual numbers, right? That we're talking about. So, what is the expected profitability, even if you get something for zero, right? Even if we start off with zero. So, the best case scenario is you got a property for free, mm -hmm. right? What are we looking at, like to get it to the the, the cost involved, or to get it to a, a sellable a, condition? No, sellable or even just rentable. If you're renting for, re and, and, and let's not talk about minpaku, right? There's this thing, someone wants to free, either, quit, so either yeah. we, we sell all regular Japanese rental. The second part of his question is actually uh, about that. He's asking, um, in terms of this repair of these properties, what are the typical jobs involved? Is it a quick paint job here and there or mm -hmm. some gutters or, you know, deeper mm -hmm. issues like framing and rot and mold and like, are we talking 10,000, 100,000? I, I suppose there's not really a benchmark for that, right? It all depends oh, on what you're looking for, yeah. right? But, I mean, if, if you want to spend an additional 200,000 US on renovating, we can totally find you one of those. I don't know why you'd want to do it, um, but that's possible. There are also other ones that require, you know, maybe on the order of 100,000 yen or hundreds of thousands of yen, not dollars. So we're talking... Yeah. So, you know, 
Yeah. So I think my, my thing is, okay, so let's, cause we, this, this comes up a lot, right? Why, what about this flip? And I've, I've explained in, in the past, like why flipping doesn't even make sense for Tokyo properties. Mm. No, not, it doesn't make sense. In the, it doesn't make sense for individuals. They're, like there are companies that do it professionally. Mm. They have access to the finance. That's their business. And you look at their database. They're not, they don't have one or two a month. They will have like 20 or 30 available listings at any one time. Yeah, mm-hmm. that they've got that they that they are flipping right. So it's a, a big business. So the idea of flipping works. But we talked about it, and I, I guess I'll repeat some of the the numbers and stuff that as we go through. So we mentioned capital gains tax. So for people listening, if you make a, sell a, a real estate for a profit, um, and you've held held it for less than five years, it's forty percent of the profit is capital gains tax is taxable, right? Well, you have to hold it for over five years for it to be the lower rate of 20% capital gains tax. I think that those are the right numbers, correct? Yep. Yeah. So it's 40% for the first, with, if you sell within the first five years, 20% if you sell it after that. Okay. So that, that, that's one reason why it doesn't work um, for an individual. Again, if your business is a real estate um, renovation company, then you don't pay that capital gains um, tax. Rather, and you probably taxed. get the contacts in place to actually make it profitable, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So they're, they're, yeah, it's place. they're mostly apartments, though, as well. They're buying up sort of the the condo style, like you know, mansions. I've seen houses. No, no, oh, you do houses. Think, yeah, we bought ours from one of a from a company oh, okay. that did exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, they do houses as well. Um, and what happens is those ones never even come to the market. Okay, they're like there's someone whoever wants to sell is like, you know, we want to sell it quickly without any any of the typical like three month wait period or they don't have the capacity to do that. Um, and the agent will say, look, if you if you want to sell at least let's say it's worth 50 million, look, if you're going to want to all right sign it for 40 million yen or 42 million yen, like at an almost 20% discount or so, then yeah, okay, I, I have a company, a renovation company, they'll buy it cheaply and they'll, they'll fix it up. And sometimes it can be very minor, just be wallpaper. And maybe you know some like just some uh, and and cleaning right new stovetop and that's it. So they haven't actually changed the bathroom, toilets, or kitchen. They just cleaned it up and, and wallpaper is like the bare minimum. Um, and but that's still considered a renovation flip, right? Uh, so um, and this they'll say, look, yeah, I got this company. They'll come and they'll come. Yeah, great, cool. Let's sign the contract. We get it done. Um, we've got the financing approved because they've already got lines of credit. They don't need to do the typical application and and stuff that, that we do. Um, that individuals need to do um, and they're able to access it really cheap because they know uh, it never goes to market and it's very very convenient for the seller whereas as an individual you don't have that ability to buy it at that cheaper price and and just talking about the scale of numbers right you can get if you buy cheap enough it's okay to get five to ten million yen off a property in tokyo right there's 50 million yen or an old apartment Right, or let alone even if it's a you know a more expensive one, even 15 million yen off. So just just by purchasing wisely, you save 15 million yen, right? That you can sort of make on top in terms of the flip. Whereas, what numbers are we looking at for these like uh, these um, akia, right? The whole project, including purchase, full renovation, etc., might be 10 million yen, hmm. right? And if you do flip, like how much? What's the expected? You know, whoever's flipping, what are they expecting to make? They're going to buy it for or get it, let's say, for nothing, right? Spend five to eight million yen on renovating it 
I mean, if it's if they bought it for nothing, it might cost almost a hundred grand. And then you to, sell it to bring for it up to that stage. twelve, twelve maybe if you're lucky, right? What they make like five, like, yeah. five million, like maybe what they're talking a good case is maybe making five million yen. I, I've got no idea, but there's like if you can make five million yen on a flip, do you think that's that like mm-hmm. for a, an Akia type property? Does that seem like it's way undervalued? Like is that a very low estimate, or is that a realistic or high estimate? In a, Depends in a on how much time scenario. you spent on it too, right? How much yeah. time and effort it took you? It's it's extremely uh, what variable. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't really make any sense. I, I'm sure you could probably pull if it was a, in the right place and the right build and not very dilapidated and this that. If all the pieces came together, yeah, maybe. But uh, just because the entire landscape is just so out of whack and and poorly admitted, like it's very, very difficult to even make estimates like that, which is why one of the major reasons why we don't really dabble in investment properties. We we are, or at least try to be pretty, um, what, open. Lifestyle oriented. Exactly, right? Because yeah. right? um, the fact is, this is kind of no man's land that we're dealing with right now. If, and if sort of like Tracy was saying, you know, if somebody who had patience and the funds and was willing to rake, take the risk and go in there and do it a few times and just make that case, that would serve, that would be very, very, very positive in that it would finally kind of, well, hopefully anyway, break down sort of the, the stigmas that are associated with both Akia as well as Inaka. But the fact is right now that hasn't happened yet. Right. And so really we need to incur before we can even honestly start talking about sort of returns and ROI and whatnot, the environment right now doesn't isn't even tooled like for that use case. And so the first thing that we're really trying to do right now is merely affect people and kind of appeal to the emotional side of things and be like, well, yeah. Oh, okay, you're probably not going to make a profit on it, but you got a great vacation house. You're in the forest. There's the wellness thing. You got the trees and the monkeys and whatnot. Um, that's really kind of our appeal at the moment. So far so, as the so his idea of um, of leasing them out to uh, foreign farm workers in those areas. I mean, like Tracy was saying, it's very easy to find places to rent that are not. Yeah, a there's, there's not a lot of dem- like you know, there's it's not as if there's a, a massive housing shortage, um, mm-hmm. and there's no inbound workers right now so uh yeah there's there's not a massive shortage i mean if that changes obviously then there'll be more incentive to to do that because that you could get more um you know more more roi um but a lot of the the akia is is the the purchase and renovation it is more labors of love it's for lifestyle and also and also like i rescued a house from from destruction and there's there's a there's a beauty to that so yeah. um so but it, it, yeah. if it's pure hard numbers if it's pure investment there's there's not masses amount of meat in there and there's not a blueprint yeah. to follow yet as well okay so for the last yeah for the last part of his question and i guess um i guess i know the answer to this one but i'll just check in any case um are there any um, legal requirements for a house to be at minimum levels of, you know, either innovation or safety before you can, um, well, he's asking about selling or renting it out. I know for a fact, and Matt can probably testify that there's no requirement for a sale. Like people mm-hmm. buy basically two, two blocks of cardboard and a bit of wood and call it a house. But how about for renting it to a tenant? 
for, for men pucker, I can answer that. For men pucker, you need, you need to, to get your licence, you actually have to have a safety certificate, which means that a certified company has to come in and, you know, you have to jump through all of their hoops and, and make sure you... It's mostly fire regulations that you've got to check, yeah. but um, you won't be able to rent it out for short-term rental if you don't have this safety certificate. Yeah. I don't know about That's regular fire fire stuff so that can be there's basically fire alarm systems right um for the most there's part a bit like more light, that, lighting though, isn't there? Uh, the lighting but it's not really structural they're not checking the structural integrity of the property yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right so you can get like basically an electrician to come in electrical company come in and they need to put the necessary emergency lighting in place and fire alarms in place so it's but, not a fire and, hazard yeah so also if no if there is a fire people can um, exit like people the, the exit signs are labeled and and what have you right so but that's not as that's say fire safety checks um it's not something it's not a structural renovation so even if the pillars are rotting you can still get the that's not going to be covered by the, the fire mm. check right whereas if you want to rent it out for regular japanese rental and i think this, this is one thing i wanted to mention before when you're doing a regular chintai um japanese style rental you're going to have difficulty renting it out if it's not really up to scratch. Yeah. Okay. Especially when you're comparing it to like place like mansions that are just designed straight up for rental. And it, it's a concrete building without any of the structural issues. Maintenance is sort of kept up. Um, whereas like if you have an issue with, with your, your Akia, right? If the windows are, if water is leaking, mm -hmm. right? Um, if the, the windows aren't opening and closing properly, mm. you need to, like, the tenant can complain, say, like, these things need to be functioning. If the doors are locked, they don't just put up with it. If the bathtub, they have one of those old whatever bathtubs, like, that, and if that's leaking, you have to repair it. They're yeah. not like, oh, it's old, so they like the charm of it being <laughs> being a mess. No, for rentals, it's, it's very, very tough. It's got to meet the standards of a typical rental. But so I suppose that somebody who would be renting an Akia is not exactly the same tenant profile that you would be mm -hmm. renting a mansion in the city, right? Yeah, so it's not as... Yeah, so the problem is that means the market is a lot lower. It's a lot less. It's not... So it doesn't... It's not a comparable, oh, let's, let's just rent it out. Let's get this... Let's see at this property for almost nothing and make it a rental. And now I've got a whole portfolio of these great rental properties that cost me nothing who's going to rent that, them? <laughs> yeah 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 but who's going to rent them they're not great rental portfolios um it's not a great rental portfolio whereas if you just had you know a portfolio of 10 different apartments in, in mansions even one room mansions you're laughing yeah. right assuming that they're just an ordinary mansion that we're familiar with in a concrete building you pay the management fee and stuff and that's it um that's that's really easy but that um, said, so there I, is a lot of vacancy as well. Like, you know, there is no, there is, if you're looking for an apartment to rent, to live in, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of vacancies. Um, and uh, so, you know, there's, there's not masses of demand that's pushing the prices up. If anything, they're, you know, they've been really flat for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we've uh, we haven't been anyway. able to raise the rents on long-term leases, which is most of what we do. We've, it's very rare that we can raise the rent between tenants. In most cases, it's either um, the same and often it's actually less. So, yeah. Mm. When there's a new development being built in the area, but again, again, this is nothing to do with Inaka, but 
if there's a new um, building that was just recently constructed, it kind of goes in waves. Like if an area becomes popular, then there's going to be construction going up. And once construction goes up, then, you know, all of these new beautiful apartments are available for rent at prices that are, you know, they're definitely higher, but they're not like double the price of the old ones. So then that creates huge pressure on older building owners. And it's kind of a race to the bottom with the rents. Like you have to keep reducing it, reducing it, reducing it. The alternative to that is to offer all sorts of incentives. If you don't want to join the race, you offer incentives that might attract tenants like, uh, you know, first month or two free rent, or, you know, the owner will pay the move-in fees, or in some cases, depending on location, maybe furnished or semi-furnished and that kind of thing. And then you might be able to hold the rent, but you're definitely not going to be raising it. Yeah, raising rent, um, like in, in typical in Tokyo, is a very, very uncommon and hard thing to do. And it's also kind of equivalent to asking the, uh, we had a situation recently, saying, can we do it? And our rental team was saying, basically, if you want to increase the rent, um, the tenant can say no. And if you want to, then you go to the, you know, basically to the court and you can say, look, the reason we're, we're increasing this is because market prices, look at the assessed land tax, market prices have gone up 20%. Yeah. Okay. So it makes sense that it, it goes up and the tenant can like say, well, if you're going to raise it, then I'm going to leave. Which we interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long-term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you wanna give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely wanna reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. Which is and, what happened to us. Say, they didn't even get to court. As soon as we told them we're raising right. the rent, they didn't even say no. They just left. Yeah, yeah. like exactly. So there's one thing. you got to be sure that you're going to be getting that out. rent from the next one, right? Because yeah. otherwise yeah. you're stuck. 
Yeah. But if there's no if there's no increase, like if you get the land tax assessment and there's you know I'm not seeing like a twenty percent increase in the government's land tax assessment, you're gonna be hard pressed to legally sort of increase the rent. We don't even go by that. I mean, we have had properties that have increased in value. That has been a thing in some areas. It's happened in Tokyo. It's happened in Fukuoka and a lot of cities that we deal with. Um, but rents haven't gone up. I mean, and, and that's not going to happen unless salaries go up. And salaries haven't gone up for a long, long while. If people can't afford to, and, you know, there are other comparable properties in the vicinity for a similar rent, then why, you know, they will just move out and move into one of those, right? They don't like to move, yeah. they don't have to, and they'll never approach you to ask you to reduce the rent if it's gone down. Like we've got tenants in place that have been paying, you know, pre-bubble rent, which is almost double to what it is these days. They'll never ask us for a discount, but, you know, on the same, on the same token, we, we can't raise the rent on that. Okay, well, that's it for um, what I thought was a big and juicy question. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and my take on the flipping side is if you start a business flipping, like, you know, when I say smaller value, smaller value properties, you go to the effort of finding them. Renovation work is actually a lot more complex, I think, would be for old, for older Akia type house mm. um, than an old mansion. It's like than a, a, a Tokyo-based apartment or mansion. If you, just say you start doing an Akia and you've done four or five of them and you're making a few million yen of each property. You're like, hold on. Then you see an opportunity in Tokyo for a, a place that's, instead of being a, a four-bedroom house, a huge house that's worth 10 million yen, it's one, it's a 15-square-meter one-room apartment for the same price. It's like, hey, I can get this re-wallpapered and ready to flip in about a week. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, no structural work. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like hold on. You, I, I just, I just feel like you know, it's and it's it's faster to do. The turnover is faster. So, and the more turnover means the more property that you can do. And because it's more standard, it's easier to uh, to guess the market price. What's a, what you're going to be able to resell it for or rent it for? So you know if it's a, worth doing the purchase on it. And it's very easy to understand structurally. There are not going to be any surprises that the beams are running. Usually it's going to be a, a, a concrete apartment and you see all the renovation history, right? So you're not responsible for a lot of the other, the, 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 the structural side of stuff, or you, you have some guarantee that it's okay. Um, I, I just see like, if you are successful in doing the, the Akia type flips and renovations, you're just going to like, it just seems like easier. I don't know. Like, I mean, it's coming, if you're coming from the purely financial profit-based aspect, yeah. Of it, which I think that question almost is, right? If it's a labor of love and, and you want to- Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's kind of like the guest house story, right? Like if, if that's your thing and you're the DIY type and it's a labor of love and you're really loving to, to you know, bring these, um, you know, older gorgeous homes back to their glory and then sell it at some sort of profit, then yeah. But if you're looking to make a profit, there are easier ways to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, financing is also going to be a lot easier. Um, financing yeah, is non-existent for Akia, right? Uh, basically, if you're under 10 mil, nobody's going to talk to you. If you're over 10 mil, somebody might, but it's still... They got to think it's worth 10 mil. <laughs> yeah, it's it's doable, but it's not all that common. Usually there's, you can either do that or get renovation um, loans, but mostly our clientele is just basically paying all through cash. Yeah. And, and I think the cash buys for that, it means it's hard to scale. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have 
15 million yen for each project. Well, let, let's say 10 million yen a project, $100,000 per project, which is even put that, right? Because it's going to be between like eight and 12, right. right? Or five and 15, right? So 10 million a project, like how many are you going to be doing, right? Um, that but that ties into what cash. you were explaining, Emil, about how loans work here. It's not actually drawing on the equity. There's a, there's always going to be a limit based on whatever you're making, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and especially and if it's only if I think Atia is going to be it's 100 cash, mm-hmm. whereas it, it, you're going to have I think just access to you're going to be able to access things more, access funds more, um, if you're doing it with um, apartments that you can get financing for, even if it's an investment loan, right? The, the model is is pretty straightforward. Okay, you buy it. This is how much they're worth. Um, and you're like, this is how much rent you can expect. This is how much renovations cost, etc. That's something easier to present to a bank. However, the... Oh, sorry, Tracy, you want to... I was going to say, it's, the other thing that's, that, that you know, we're, we're talking just pure real estate. Whereas what... You know, where I see big opportunities is where someone is doing a hybrid with an existing sort of peripheral business. So, for example, I know some people who are, um, you know, using finance to to renovate and actually build a CrossFit gym in the middle of nowhere and actually building a business or an infrastructure and and an ecosystem that's not just based on the bricks and the mortar. the, the timber the and the, mortar, the plaster. But, <laughs> yeah, but the but built around an, an another type of business, whether it be like I said, a CrossFit gym or some sort of experience or a yoga retreat. Matt, working on it, <laughs> working on it. I've already got the teach. I've already got the yogi. <laughs> wellness spa. You know, with that, when you actually build as a destination. Um, mm. a different business and then you use Akia, like, you know, use the renovation of, of the, the, the mm. areas around you. That's a, certainly a really good way of, of, of uh, reducing costs. And so that's, that's that. a very really good point that you make, Tracy, is that kind of the thing that really kind of triggered my interest in all of this, as many things, it goes back to music, but it's very similar to CrossFit or whatever, in that Akia by themselves are probably a pretty lackluster and uninteresting <laughs> um, thing. However, the application, um, as, tra- right. as Tracy very astutely pointed out, if you consider them in, in relation to each other and an ecosystem, what they really represent or can represent is nascent infrastructure, right? And with that, then you can start building communities or destinations or experiences or this, that, and the other thing. And so they're really not intended to even really be investment properties, even in the best of times. And that that's not the purpose that they're serving. The purpose that they're serving is facilitating people doing people stuff, right? And presumably, you know, paying for a weekend yoga retreat, which you can charge up to about 800 bucks a pop for if you want. Exactly. Yes. Right. And make, or the make wellness, retreat, on that or- wellness retreats out in um, Yamanashi that we're working on. There's some stuff out in Chiba as well. There's a whole bunch of surf culture down in the Izu Peninsula, as well as diving. And in fact, Manazuru, the spot that's one stop up north of where I live in Yugawara, is an incredibly popular and very robust Akia ecosystem. And people are investing there right for dive retreats and snorkel retreat and fishing and stuff like this and so from a strictly financial tool point of view Akia are a terrible fucking idea (laughs) (laughs) and this goes back to what we were talking about last week tracy with them if there is a community and an infrastructure similar to the airbnb and mintaku discussion right if there is 
a community of um, not landlords, but owners who are getting into this and marketing their area and communicating with each other and sharing their resources to make it an experience, to, to put the place on the map, so to speak, then there's a lot that you can do. But as long as everybody stays in their bubble and this is just like my dream home, maybe yes, maybe no, it's not going to happen, is it? No, and, and, and I really think that, you know, it's it's more than just like house. It's just more than house by house by house. It's like if you look at it as a project basis, there's a lot to be done. Um, but, you know, some of these small country towns are just not that pretty. Um, to Like they're just not. But that can be you solved put, though. <laughs> You can that can be it, solved yeah. if you make if you think out of the box and like think well what what can I do to make this a destination of its own so whether it be the yoga or the CrossFit or the whatever it is goats. that you that the you goats. do sorry the goats, the goats. The goats. The goats. <laughs> or you know um you know there's there's all sorts of stuff you could do like you know there's eco like, eco tourism there's adventure tourism there's like all sorts of stuff. So um, interestingly, weddings, uh, pop up weddings or a wedding know. village. That almost sounds like oh. nightmare before Christmas kind of stuff. No. Um, <laughs> in, in, interestingly, I was just up in um, Ishikawa. I think I mentioned that previously. Um, and there's a city there called Wajima. It's on the north, what, the north coast facing the Sea of Japan. I just sent a link over. Um, there's a spot called, I don't even know what to call it, right? Because it has a name, it's called Kabulet, Kabulet, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, but what it is, I think it's a government initiative that bought up a whole bunch of Akia, got some pretty decent architects from Kanazawa, which is a well-known um, kind of historical landmark city, also in Ishikawa prefecture, and renovated them and turned them into Akia cafes and Akia ramen shops and Akia libraries and kind of all of this stuff, right? And it was also extremely interesting that um, a lot of the employees, one of the reasons that they that they did this, I guess, was um, to facilitate, uh, I want to say prefectural, people in Ishikawa prefecture who might have, you know, a mental or a physical disability that makes it difficult for them to work. And so a lot of the employees, like salaried employees at these places that were produced using Akia um, ended up supporting these communities as well. It's very rural. It's very hard to get to. I'm, I, I was actually very, very surprised that this existed. But when I was in Ishikawa, I mentioned to the Ryokan owner, like, oh, Akia and stuff. They were like, dude, you got to go check out Wajima. It's an amazing thing that they've yeah, done. That's exactly it, though. Like, they, they created a destination. That's, the, that's what we keep telling people who are looking into these old... Um, resorts and some of them are in really good shape and some of them are huge and some of them are really cheap like you know 20 30 room oh. former onsen hotel resort that, that you can buy for like less than half a mil it's yes. a really good deal but you're not just it's not going to be enough to create the perfect resort you're not going to have to create the whole destination to get exactly. people to come there exactly you've literally got to like build a world <laughs> i'm also thinking if if it's a location where there are so many akia that just it's like it's maybe not a very attractive location. That's why I was able to get so many Akia there. But that could be just um, because it hasn't on. been it hasn't been attractive in the sense that you know nobody's actually set up shop there to make it attractive. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong but, with it. But when but when that's certainly the case. With, but but when it's artificial, like when the government tries to artificially just create, like you know they build it and they will come. Um, I think the places that become you know gentrified are 
it's a, there's a natural kind of like an evolutionary process to it. It's not, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. Yes. Superficially, if, if the infrastructure isn't there, if there isn't something a bit more compelling to be there, mm. um, you know, and you look at like some snow resorts, well, like they have this, this, the fact that there's snow, right? There's a certain thing about it, right? Um, you, you can't just make something out of nothing, right? Well, like, I mean, like, what about- To a degree, yes. What like Japan, how ugly can it be? Yeah, it can, I mean, it can get pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean that 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 we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago is that that um, that artist island, um, and uh, you know that old that that sprung up and and uh, but that was a decision by the by the town to to make um, to make it make it an artist retreat. Um, yeah, but but how many but will, how many of them are going to be so successful? Yeah, like, how many I, of them will actually successful? Very, very often, the municipal government is the municipality's worst enemy. Um, yeah, they tend to just be terrible at everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very. That, that it's not a joke. That's really the case, though. Unfortunately, so, but that's also why. Um, I mean, another part we we're still kind of spinning it up, but what we dubbed the Inaka Club, right, is just getting people out there for kind of unique. I like the word visceral, but like unique, kind of intimate not in like the sexual sense but you know just like people getting together and like having an experience together um and just being able to open and kind of guide people hold their hands into having honestly probably not even that like spectacular of an experience merely an experience in a place that they never thought that they could have that before right um that's very important and if you don't do that right as emil was pointing out you can't make something out of nothing that's, that's the first step though people have to fall in love with something right Exactly. Well, so really, there's a whole lot of serendipity involved in it because not all the places are great. Like, I'll be the first person to tell you that. There's a lot of places that I think are just like, please, we should be wiped off the map. You're- <laughs> like, how, like that area where, where you said they, they made like Chinaki is and they got like, you know, loads of disabled community to, to you know, get employed there. Mm. How hot are the cafes? You want to go and get a coffee, right? And like, how, like, how awesome are these coffee shops? All these restaurants nice. that they got there. They're not spectacular. Like, though, like, right? like, can you, can you find a better one down in Shimokitazawa? Right? Like, or, or play, like, or even just, just any location. One that's like, or by the one where it really has an individual who's like, I'm going to start a coffee shop and I'm going to go and set up. Like, this is a nice area. It's, it's a bit of a spot. I'm going to go and make a cafe there. Like, you know, or the artsy type of gallery, a gallery mm-hmm. slash cafe thing. Someone who's actually gone there with that intent versus, and the quality of that cafe, and you go there and you can, you know, have a good experience. When one hot cafe sort of opens up in a good spot, mm. that leads to maybe more sort of artists or more sort of people coming through. And, oh, and it's, that's, a, it's a hard culture. That's the thing. Is, it. it's, it's kind of a, again, it's, it's sort of a labor of love. It's sort of saying, hey, I recognize this place actually isn't all that great, but <laughs> like, let's go do it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, right? But yeah, but it's going to have something for it, right? You have whereas that's why if it's just the, the municipalities like oh you know what let's just let's just see if it sticks well that, that could either be the time. spot though or it could be the community itself if the community is unique enough and brings something to the table that's you know that's difficult to find in other places then you know the natural settings might matter a little bit less right? I, I was blown away by the accessibility of this wajima place which is something that i'm i'm quite keen about uh one story but yeah I've, I've, so so is it so it's very accessible you mean extremely accessible. Accessible. right but that puts it that puts it on the map for for 
you know, people um, who are looking for very accessible places. I mean, and there's a whole marketing around, you know, traveling, traveling in Japan, like um, getaway kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and serving a particular niche. Um, And what I was going to jump in with was that, you know, if you do have an idea of, um, of building a business, there's a bunch of like, rural revitalization grant money that you can get yes it's a real pain to fill out all the forms but there's money there um and then you can match the um so the the meti the meti grants that you can get i can actually send you the link for the meti grants um if you want to put them in the show notes yeah um and you know that's free money you have to put the money in first and then they will reimburse you um up to 50 percent of what you've um of what you've invested yeah, it's um, happening here in Saginaw. i know um yeah. quite a few people who've been getting into it and then you can and then you can play the local banks there's 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 money that's been allocated to these various places and if you can put a good enough case study forward and you know you've got to do, you know fill out the forms and you've got to have your business plan like you should as a proper business anyway but if you can you know go through that red tape there's money to be had um so uh, but there yeah, is I, I, um, there is the i mean you still need to know you still need to know how to make a business and how to make it profitable. Absolutely. Like, you still that, have that to have saga a project, viable friend, idea, you know, whether it's been tested or not, doesn't, yeah. you know, that this is a way that you can test it using government money rather than your own. But, yeah. um, but it's but, not, uh, like you said, it's 50%, right? So like here in oh, Saga, that's my significant. Friend, sorry. But that's significant though, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I it is significant. But I mean, fifty percent of a million bucks is still half a million bucks. If you're going to make it, a, you know, you're going to put in half a million bucks and nobody comes, you're still going to be out of pocket, right? Yeah. No, but but I know someone who's done that, and actually, what she's done is leveraged then the 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 local banks to um to fund the money up front as a bank loan. So so the the grant money comes after she spent the money, but that so because she's got the grant money secured, she's able then to leverage that and get a bank loan to cover the upfront costs so that she's not up for it personally. And then um, and then a lot of the bank loan is then paid off by the grant money that comes in after she spent the money. So if you're creative with, you know, if you're creative with your finance or you work with a business partner who's creative with that, there, there are ways to do this. Um, but yet you've got to have a really, you know, solid idea first. My, my, so, my next thing is, how do you do this with young kids? So, and by that, I mean, if you, if you like, it's a lifestyle, a meal, and it's not art. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a lifestyle. It's just, I think all the time, people that have almost the, the, like, you, you you have to be so individually involved um, and, and basically relocate because you're not traveling there just every morning. Right. You're going to need to, to relocate, I think for a big part of it. So, if you have a family or if you have other regular employment, like this is, you, you can't do this as just a side hustle. Um, this, this uh, you probably hey. could. It depends, on, it depends on where you are, right? Like, and how old the kids are. <laughs> and how old the kids are. I would, exp- yeah, the, the family things hey. are complicated. Speaking, but... speaking of kids, hey, Tracy. Um, uh, hello, this is my, so, uh, look, I can run a, like, I, I run a business with, with a kid, you know. Hello. Um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> this camera is funny. It's funny, yeah. It's following it's you. Mm. There we go. So, 
Um, so anyway, I didn't want to interrupt your your thought process, Emil, um, of being able to work with with kids. I mean, it's it, it's hard. It's a it's a juggle, and um... uh, but I mean, it's more the location, right? We're talking rural, like you basically oh, right. whether you like if you like the country or not, your your kids are at going to be at local schools, and then you have to go to unless you're doing the revitalization project locally and you don't have to really move then that's okay but when you go to another prefecture you're gone i think that's where the issues are around like you yeah, know there's people like that have their own businesses like you know trace example like we you, you can have kids and have your own business but the business that we're talking about now about revitalizing areas and finding up you have good deals and we're growing them up and making them cool and funky mm-hmm. that, that's that's not two kilometers down the road no, um, the, uh, yeah, the spot never. that comes up every once in a while on um, the Fujino area of Kanagawa um, is kind of our go-to sort of recommendation. The educational facilities there are, what is it, the Steiner School? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's a straight shot on the Chuo line. So, like, it's accessible. It's probably it's about an hour, I think, uh, west-ish, northwest of, let's say, Shinjuku. Um, we know some people there fixing up Akia and stuff, but I mean, you're correct, right? This is also not something that is for everybody. Like it's, it's all a very circumstantial um, kind of thing. And you know, Again, labor of love. It's not an investment strategy. It's a project. Mm-hmm. We were talking about financing uh, a second ago, right? And the difficulty will be for financing a property in like Akia, right? It's basically it's all cash job. Um, I want to touch on that. We have a client right now who's looking uh, just by Tamagawa River. Mm. He's looking at buying a property. And what's happened is it's a two-story property. And, but it has a large, like, uh, like the, the second floor has like a large, um, quite a high ceiling. And, they, and so what you have is a loft, okay? Um, it, it's pretty common. And by regulation, a loft is like sort of an attic space. Okay, yeah. But it, it can't be more than 1.4 meters high going so they have to cap the ceiling right so um i've, I've got one sort of in in my place as well i've got two two lofts and you go in and even though it looks like the roof line can go higher there is a ceiling at 1.4 meters and it's often like you know so if the roof is like this there'll be a, a ceiling line at 1.1.4 meters and then there's the, the slope on the on the sides right, right? right so and even if you think wow they can just open this up and make it really quite high by regulation, if it's over 1.4 meters, it will it'll be counted as a room and counted as space. Mm. Okay. So let's say you the, the property can be a maximum of 100 square meters and you have a loft area. The loft area, if the ceiling is 1.4 meters high, it's it's even if it's like 10 square meters or 15 square meters, it won't add to the 100 square meters of the building. Right, right. Right. The regulation says this building can't be more than 100 square meters. The loft space area doesn't count. And this is relevant for what? For property tax calculations? Uh, no, but just for building regulations, yeah. right? Yeah. But um, once, well, with the situation we had is once it was built, the cell, it's a nine jaw, ten, ten jaw loft, which is quite a large size. Massive, yeah. Yeah, once they've, and it's just, it's above the living room. Um, and it had like just the old ladder. Once once they bought it, got the financing, they built in like a fixed staircase, and they removed that that ceiling and put it all the, like the the flat one point four meter high ceiling and put it all the way to the roof, which is about two meters high, two mm. that more like two point two meters. And it, it slants down, but it's pretty much. But you can use it as a, even a bedroom, 
Like it's not like even the slant is not low. It's massively high. Um, so they have like this oven. Now it's like a 10 jaw extra size third floor. Um, and we went to the bank for looking for a bank loan and the banks won't touch it. Mm-hmm. Banks will not touch it. They, they say, um, and there's also a balcony that like they, they built like uh, where the driveway is. They extended the balcony out. Um, so now the balcony is like about two and a half or three meters deep and by four meters wide. It's a nice, beautiful balcony and it's by the water on mm-hmm. the Tamagawa River. So basically straight up the balcony, like it's just the river right in front of you. They won't touch it because what? Because you conceivably built over your ratio? Yeah. So now it's gone from a two-story building to a three-story building. So the land title says it's a two-story building, but now it's got a third story. Even though you haven't added extra just by removing that, now that ceiling is too high, right? So it's considered a third story. And the balcony, the the deck, um, how they calculate, I think we've discussed before, is what what gets classified as building, like in the building footprint, is uh, roof-covered area. Right. So the fact that you have a deck, even if it's uncovered, it doesn't add to the space. But the area below it, the old the old open car park that used to be below it, is now has a now has a roof on top of it that you can use to to store stuff under, and it, it rain cannot go through. That's now a roof for the space below. Oh. So it goes over in terms of footprint. So the building footprint is now much too large, and also the area as well is counted. So that first floor that used to be 50 square meters is now 65 square meters. Even though it's still a car, a car park area, it's now covered. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the only way to get around that, for at least, well, I don't know about the car park, but, the, but I know people um, who've actually got a builder in and put a, put a wall on, like taking the staircase, like mm-hmm. hidden the staircase behind a wall and had the bank inspection got the bank finance and then re-renovated it after after they after they moved in um, oh yeah yeah so that's that's part of the discussion now is okay well, let's let's fill it up okay drywall and see what you can do about you removing the adjusting the balcony but the problem is the balcony it's a big like steel steel yeah, frame that's, a, that's in the concrete a- it's not yeah. 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 So, so even if we just remove the floorboards from it, reduce the width of it, and make it just like thirty centimeter deep balcony, and remove the the, the deck flooring, so now you go in the car carpool, and although there's the, the driveway, although there's a metal balcony frame around you, it's open. You, 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 there, there's no ceiling above it, yeah. right? There's no there's no roof. Um, the bank once they see it and they've seen the floor plans, like they'll go and go well. We know what you're gonna do. <laughs> like we, we we know like this is this is gonna be extended. How I mean, like, stupid do you think we are? <laughs> yeah, I think like, so so that's kind of the, the challenge. So we talk about how difficult it is to get financing for for even an Akia, even a house, and this house is like 16 years old. Um, just because of these two minor sort of changes, which it, it's nothing actually structural. That roof, they haven't made the roof higher, like the actual right. exterior roof. All they've moved is the ceiling, like the, the fake ceiling, and made it like you know going up with the, the actual height of the roof, um, the, the natural roof. That disqualifies it. Now, yeah, yeah. That, that disqualifies it. And now they've got like just a steel deck out front, like a carport implement. That's that's disqualified it. Um, so it may, yeah, financing is very difficult. So it has to be priced a lot cheaper, um, and is likely going to be a cash a cash buy. And we're talking probably like in the fifty mid fifty million yen range. 
um, in, in Tokyo. So yeah, just about that. So that, that's called like the, how we refer to that when we're um, in, uh, typically is a, so Kempeiritsu is a name for the footprint, building footprint as a percentage of the land size. And Yosekiritsu is the total land, um, a total floor space of the property, right? And like first floor, second floor and third floor combined as a portion to the, to the, uh, to the land size. So it'd be like this, this particular area is 40% and 80%, 40% footprint, 80% um, uh, property size ratio. In more dense areas, like, like where I live in Setagaya, it's 60% and 150% is the footprint. So, but if, if they had cash, if they had cash, they could just buy it, right? There would be no, there would be no impediment to purchase. Yeah, precisely, yeah. So it's purely with, with the financing. The finance, they're going to buy right. cash. What makes buying a property in Tokyo, your own family home, such a good, like so attractive, is that the money is free, essentially. It, the bank will give you 100% or 105% financing, and the interest is like 0.5%. 0.7%. Okay, the one guy we got, um, uh, I think at the start of this year, was 0.45, 0.475%. And recently, one of our, our staff got, like one of our sales staff, got for a Japanese guy, 0.425% for a 100% loan. And that's the interest rate. Um, so it, it's free money. So why would you put a half a million dollars of your own cash when you can get, you know, three to 7% just you know, or or more, just in even you know bonds or stock market, etc., or in, in any kind of other asset class. Is oh, Emil, 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 sorry, that. sorry, sorry, Emil. One question I totally forgot to ask you. Um, I, mm. I, actually, after that, I might have to uh, um, I might have to log I'm off, but you guys can carry on. Yeah, I gotta go. Um, with mortgages, so you know how you mentioned time and time again that you guys also act as mortgage brokers, right? Yes. And um, you obviously serve foreign customers, so for you, it's it's kind of a routine thing. When we have customers who are looking to purchase in other cities that are not that familiar with foreigners, there's still the same infrastructure in place in the sense that the listing agent, especially if it's a bigger agency, usually have bank connections and can help organize a mortgage. Yes. But mm-hmm. how... How easy is it for them in, say, uh, Kumamoto to approach their bank and say they've got a foreign buyer, which they probably haven't done much before? Um, well, so when you say approach their bank, it will be, you know, generally uh, the big ones are uh, MUFG, Mizuho, and uh, SMBC. Yeah. They're the mega banks. Rizona is also one of the big ones now. Okay, so and Rizona Bank. So they're the big, the big four banks. Um, and then there's a the local bank. So usually the, they'll go with just, they'll approach just one of the big ones. Okay. So that's uh, what like most local. agents do, is it? They go most with agents, even, yeah, even, even in, in other prefectures, right? They'll, they'll have the loan officers assert, like, assigned to their agency, like what we do. So our, our agency here in Tokyo, in Ibis, um, we have loan officers assigned from the mortgage center. They are assigned to our agency, to our account. So you know, if you want, like if I have a client and I think, okay, SMBC will give them the best deal, I will engage with, I will just call um, like email or fax uh, some documentation to our bank, to our loan, uh, the, the, the loan center in Shibuya, where our loan, loan officer is um, assigned. And then I'll give him a call. I was like, okay, Tanaka-san, um, I just emailed you some documentation. This is a client, this is a situation. Um, usually like I'll say that, like if they're just a salaried employee, there's typical salary man, then I don't even need to do that. I have a good idea of how much the bank will loan him. 
or her. Well, generally, it's like someone, oh, maybe they've just changed jobs. I say, this is what they were doing, and now they've just changed jobs two months ago. Here are the last two pay slips. What should we do? Like, how long do we need to wait until they've been employed at the current job, until they do it, et cetera? So usually, if it's really squeaky clean, um, like, you know, they've been salaried employee at the same company for, uh, you know, for three years, four years, and they have permanent residency, then it's quite straightforward. Once they are no longer that, they have any other kind of issue, they're self-employed, a business owner, um, or uh, they don't have permanent residency, we need to start, it gets to be a bit more difficult. But in general, if they're permanent resident out in the middle of nowhere, the middle of nowhere, outside of Tokyo, sorry, let me <laughs> rephrase that. Um, then, yeah, their the agent should be able to engage with the banks. Otherwise, Assuming if it's one of the big ones. If it's a small local uh, bank. Well, even, if, even, a, even, a small, uh, even if a small local local agency will be able, will know which banks to deal with. Okay. Um, and if they have no one, sometimes the local agents, um, it's a mom and pop shop. They may not have anyone they deal with and they just have the exclusive right of the listing. They, um, you know, if you really want that property, then yeah, you can just walk into any branch on your own and say you want to buy it. Um, but you need to have permanent residency. Yeah. If, yeah. If, um, and then if you, and if not, then you can ask the agent, look, which bank will finance this? And they may say the local Shinyo Ginko, the local trust bank or local credit union um, in, in that area will be able to do it. And in that case, then you go speak to that branch as an individual. Right. So then the buyer needs to walk in and try to get the loan. But then again, if we're running into local smaller banks that might not be used to dealing with foreigners on a regular basis. Oh, but- but, the, but the, dealing with foreigners is, do you have permanent residency or not? That's the idea of dealing with foreigners. Okay. okay. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's the hurdle. You have a and stable salary local, and are you a resident? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you have a residency, one. then. Yeah, yeah. All right. See you next time. Take it easy. All right. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, awesome. So that, that answers uh, all of my uh, questions. Um, I'm I'm good to call it a day. Thank you. Folks. I'm good to call it a day too. Yeah, I've got a question for Emil in a bit, so we'll just hang on. Awesome. All right. Thanks, folks. Right. Thank you. Bye, Zeb. See you soon. Bye, bye. 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 Recording. Stop. So there you have it. Nice long conversation there. Information packed as usual, and I hope a touch of reality. For many of you out there who, like our listener who sent in the questions, may have some ideas that are very applicable in many other countries, but not always here in Japan. Things can be a bit different here, and it's important to be aware of these differences before pulling the trigger on any expenses. Hope you found value in the conversation. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way.
And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku. Yoroshiku.